Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. Doesn't get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another Amazonic episode of Comic Books, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined tonight by two of my fellow evil men from Men's World. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Suffering Sappho. It's Mike. Woo woo, it's Justin. <laughs> keep keep my candy away from Justin. My candy is for me. Alright, guys. Well, as you may or may not have guessed, this episode tonight is going to be a Wonder Woman centric episode, a Wonder Woman themed episode in honor of the feature film which should be released right around the time you're listening to this on June 2nd. We are discussing two original Wonder Woman graphic novels. The first half of the show we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman Earth One by Grant Morrison and Yannick Paquette. And then we're going to be following up the second half of the episode discussing The True Amazon by Jill Thompson. So these are some books. I guess, you know, Justin was was the one who suggested bringing Earth One to the table. And then I think I sort of chimed in and seeing that they were both similarly themed, that maybe it'd be fun to also bring True Amazon into the mix. But I think what I'm going to do is sort of let Justin go into the synopsis on Earth One and, and maybe tell the listeners kind of why he was interested in, in bringing this to the show. And, and then we can, you know, discuss details and everything. Right. So if you're unaware, the DC Earth One series is kind of like a line of graphic novels where the writer is unencumbered by old continuity and there have been a series of these. There's like, uh, okay, uh, 
There's three Superman Earth One books. Wow, like I didn't know that. Like, cause yeah, yeah, man, there's those, three of them. Those those are not very good. <laughs> there's, there's I, I only I only read the two, but wow, there's three. Okay, there's uh there are two Earth One books. There are two Earth One Teen Titans, and of course there is the one Wonder Woman Earth One book. And as Derek said, it is written by Grant Morrison with art by Yannick Paquette. And this has been something that's kind of been mentioned for several years now that you know grant morrison was working on a big you know huge earth-shattering wonder woman project and you know being a grant morrison fan and a wonder woman fan i was like you know always kind of looking out for any kind of news or information about this so that's kind of why that's one of the reasons you know i suggest we read this because you know it's grant morrison but as for the story i'll go ahead and get into that Wonder Woman Earth-1 begins with the Amazons captured and Hercules has subjected Hippolyta. Hippolyta recovers her girdle of strength. She overpowers and kills Hercules and along with the other Amazons defeats the army that Hercules was leading and they begin to live out an existence of solitude cut off from man's world. 3,000 years later, they have flying clamshell cars and course we see diana who of course struggles with her life as as she says a thing made of clay and she is rebelling against her mother's wishes this existence is interrupted by what diana finds washed along the shore it's a man she takes him to a cave and brings him food she tries to heal him with the purple ray but it has no effect on man later in her role as hercules she bests her friend Mala and claims her flying swan plane as the prize. Diana was not supposed to win, but after centuries of playing the role of Hercules and losing constantly, she has decided she can lose no longer. Her mother is furious, and as Diana leaves, realizes the change that has overcome her. A man is on the island, and Hippolyta commands everyone to follow Diana. Later, Diana loads Steve into the flying plane and takes off. The Amazons give chase, but can do little but watch her escape. Landing in the United States, Diana brings Steve to a hospital. Upon seeing the bedridden and dying patients of the hospital, Diana cries and flees in terror, only to be met by the army. She manages to escape. Later, Etta Candy is on a bus that, of, of course, goes off the road, but Diana saves it. Etta and Diana return to the hospital, where the army brass tells Steve he must learn all he can from Diana. Etta and her sorority sisters give Diana a makeover. Diana then senses something is amiss and runs out to find everyone, including Steve, have been turned into stone by the Gorgon. Diana then surrenders to the Amazons who have come to bring her home and is put on trial. Diana uses the purple ray, recalibrated by her of course, and restores Steve. Diana turns the tables on her mother with the lasso of truth. Hippolyta confesses that Diana is not made of clay, but is her daughter of flesh and blood, and Hercules is her father. After some discussion, Diana leaves and joins the real world. And that is Earth One. So I'm just going to open this up. Like, what, what did you guys think of this? I think that this... The, the kind of backdrop you gave to it where 
you know, the, there was the constant talk that Grant Morrison was working on a Wonder Woman project. Like, one of the things that I sort of heard touted was that, you know, Grant Morrison was like, I, I finally figured it out, you know, like, like I, I've, I've cracked the, the riddle that is, like, how to write, a, you know, quote-unquote, a good Wonder Woman comic book. Like, he, he wrapped his head around it or something. And... I can kind of relate to that because I think, like, it's very strange. Like, I I'm trying to equate this to my experiences with Wonder Woman. And, you know, of course, I knew Linda Carter and I knew her from the Super Friends. But that's like a very almost superficial kind of frosting of what William Moulton Marston's Wonder Woman was, and I think until I finally, like, read some of that, it was, like, one of those things where I was like, this is a really weird fucking comic book, you know? Like, it was, it was always kind of strange, you know? And, and I feel like, I mean, at, at the very least, I can say that Grant Morrison certainly took, like, the, the core of all these aspects of Wonder Woman and tried to stick it into some kind of modern, you know, ultimate type book, you know? So in that sense, I, I mean, I'd say I guess that was pretty successful. I don't know that I'm I'm enthralled with a lot of the the messages in it or anything I don't I don't know that this is anything that I'd I'd read on a constant basis, kinda like how you sort of you know, talked about, like, Superman Earth-1 being something that you weren't too keen on. Like, I, I don't think I was too keen on Superman Earth-1 myself. Sometimes when I hear praise for some of these books, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. But I, I'd say the only one that really spoke to me of the ones that I've read, which, you know, would be Superman Earth-1 Volume 1 and 2, and, like, Batman... Earth One Volume One. I like I, I kinda like the Batman one that Jeff Johns and Gary Frank did. Like I thought that was pretty good. But other than that, like I, I don't know that too many of those books spoke to me. So in, in that sense, you know, the art's good. I think I think Grant Morrison did he did he crack the code and the riddle of what makes a good Wonder Woman book? I don't know. But he certainly took what was in the existing lore and sort of painted a picture in in what he considers a sort of modern scenario for it, you know, like it, it, it's still kind of strange to me in either incarnation Yeah, I, I definitely echo what you said about, like it, it, he took whatever strangeness there was and, like, infused his own, like, Grant Morrison-iness into it as well, so <laughs> I definitely got that vibe from it like, I was kind of like, okay, is this something from, like the 40s or something Grant Morrison like dreamt up in a mushroom induced like fog or something I, I so. gotta be honest I, I don't know that there was too much mushroom induced fogs in this I mean I mean if if you ask me something I can probably point to something that William Moulton Marston wrote I mean you know the the cover the yeah like I, know, I know yeah. I know all about yeah like purple healing rays and all that stuff yeah but I was kind of like like yeah, like Justin said, like the clamshell cars or whatever. I was kind of like, whoa, what now? Okay. But, I mean, I, I, I personally, like, I'm not super familiar with Wonder Woman, but, like, I thought it was interesting, like, if anything. Like, I, and I definitely, 
I, you definitely get the vibe of like you know I know these Earth One books were kind of like sort of like Ultimate like Marvel almost and like I definitely got that vibe where it was like a, a reimagining of a you know a classic character. And, um, I mean, there's some, like, you know, changes to the lore and stuff that I've really found interesting, like, you know, making Steve Trevor, like, an African-American man, and, like, I think that part kind of, like, you know, made me go, like, oh, I guess that, like, I think he did that because, like, obviously, when, like, when she, like, shows him, like, you know, her bondage gear or whatever, like, you know, she's ignorant of, like, the implications, like, behind it, like, showing a black man, like, you know, some like you know bondage gear and like what what that must mean to him and like you know uh you know in terms of like uh, slavery and all that so like i thought that was kind of interesting but but i, I just like you know the that kind of like made me almost chuckle like the look on his face was like whoa whoa like back the train up sister what like what like uh, i don't know that that kind of made me chuckle well, but. that's that's what's weird about those original wonder woman comics because it, it, I mean, from what I can gather, William Moulton Marston had a wife who also had a girlfriend, and they had this weird kind of hinky-dinky three-way thing going on. And, of course, he's the guy who came up with the lie detector, and he's the guy who, I think, in creating Wonder Woman, tried to sort of create this notion of if you submit to a woman, you know, like, if you submit to the, the, the wisdom and logic and will of a woman, which is what they kind of describe in Wonder Woman and in all these articles as loving submission. And, and you'll probably notice, like, that is constantly brought up in this title. You know, like, like there's the aspect of bondage. Like, on the cover, she's in chains. And, like, in a lot of early Wonder Woman stories, she was always in bondage. The whole deal was if a man could tie her up, she lost her superpowers. Like, that was her kryptonite in, basically, the Golden Age. And, like, it's one of those things where, like, sometimes when you read those early Golden Age Wonder Woman stories, it's like you've stumbled onto, like, one of those nasty 4chan sites with, like, a bunch of weird crazy hentai drawings of, like, Barney and Betty Rubble and Wilma and Fred having, like, you know, four ways <laughs> or something, and they look all gross or whatever. You know, it's like it's like one of those things where you're just like, what what exactly is this, you know? And, and, and like, I, I think in some sense, like, they he, he tried to capture some of that, you know, but at the same time, like, it, it's kind of a hard concept to wrap your head around, you know, I mean, you know, and, and I guess this is coming from, like, okay, you know, you know, uh, news alert, like, we're, we're three, you know, white males talking about this kind of stuff, so, of course, you know, one way or the other, we're gonna, you know, sort of be screwed, you know, <laughs> no matter what is said, right, but it's just like one of those things where, I mean, I, I find all that kind of stuff hard to wrap my head around, too. You know, I don't think Morrison was any different, but he sat there and had a good long thought about it, and then this is basically, you know, what he came up with. I don't think there's a whole lot of subtlety to what happens in this particular story. I mean, you know, there's 
there's the two-page spread where right away you can see the Amazons are like holding hands and they're clearly, you know, an island of lesbians. Like, you know, if they're not fighting one another, they're fucking one another. Like, basically. Like, I mean, you kind of get that. Like, and it's almost to some people, like, it, it seemed like there was an outcry of, you know, th- they, they bring up the aspect of Hercules having, you know, raped Hippolyta, so there was, there. it seemed like there was some early outrage over the, the art, all the, the females look pretty much beautiful, like, even, even Etta Candy in her own way, like, it is, is clearly dolled up, like, in this story, like, I, I don't think there are too many characters in this that are, quote-unquote, ugly, or, I don't know if that's the right word, but but have a sense of realism to them. They all seem to be personified Adonises, like, you know, Steve Trevor, like, any character that's in this. So, I, I think there's this weird notion of, you know, if if the rapey thing with Hercules is a horrible thing, it, it, visually, it doesn't necessarily reflect that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it, it almost looks like there's some kind of sensuality to Hippolyta on the pages, and I know for some early reviewers, especially female reviewers, like, that sparked a a sense of outrage in them, you know, because that was something that they responded to. I I was just gonna say, like, I know it's part of, like, the mythology and stuff, but I I just, I'd have trouble seeing Hercules, like, in that light, because I'm used to, like, you know, the heroic Hercules, like, from Marvel and stuff, and, like, I know it's part of the mythology and stuff, stuff like oh i don't know that that makes me a little uncomfortable i i think i think it's intended to to me like that that's something that i don't think it's always been mentioned in the comics and everything but i i feel like it really got a lot of attention once george perez tackled it post-crisis you know especially with the the kind of baggage that you bring to it is like you know hercules the avenger from marvel comics you know being a hero you know like that kind of aspect to that situation like clearly clearly it's not the same character a lot of the greek gods are made out to be you know the male gods are made out to be you know villainous type people just because that you know even though they're deities you know they're part of man's world you know i mean when 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 Hippolyta notices something's amiss with diana it's because she smells some kind of weird odorous stink it's like, what is this stink? It's the stink of man, you know. Like, it's like one of those things where it's like, I, it's like I smell a man on you, daughter, you know, and that kind of thing. I mean, and and the other thing that's kind of interesting is like, I don't even know if like at least the way it's portrayed in the story, it looks like Hercules attempts to have his way with Hippolyta, but the way the the script is written and the way you visually look at it, I I don't think he actually succeeds. Like, I think she kills him before that becomes a reality, and I mean, the Amazons go balls out and kill all these, essentially, Spartan warriors and everything, and Hippolyta's like, no mercy, you know, don't leave anybody left standing, you know, and that kind of thing, so, you know, there's, there's that kind of stuff that... I, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know, that, that would sort of be my, my counter to that kind of criticism. I mean, as far as, like, wrapping my head around 
you know, the the whole concept of loving submission, like that that is kind of a a weird concept to wrap your head around. And and it does seem to derail into discussions of bondage and S and M and you know, and then and then of course you, you throw in the idea that, you know, okay, Steve Trevor's not a, a blonde white Air Force pilot anymore. You know, he he's like Mike said, he's you know, an African-American soldier. So then you bring aspects of his backstory to this kind of situation that's already hard to wrap your head around. Like, like if you submit lovingly, then that's a good thing. Well, what does that mean to somebody who's African-American? Do you know what I mean? Like, like if it's hard for me to wrap my head around that concept, like, it must be a million times harder for somebody like that to wrap their head around that concept. You know what I mean? Like, like no matter who it is that's offering you the, the bondage or the submission or whatever it is. I mean, it, it is, it is a very, to me, it's a very strange kind of concept and everything. Yeah. I think I mentioned to you, like I, I've been slowly reading this book about William Moulton Marston uh, it's called The Secret History of Wonder Woman um, by Jill Lepore. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but like it, it really goes into a lot of detail about what you were saying about, you know, he was he, he did have a wife and they basically had an open relationship where, you know, he basically like they had another woman in that relationship and she lived with him for a time, I believe. And, you know, everything was like hunky dory and there was like this kind of like you know kind of weirdness going on and it's kind of weird to think about it as you know like that was going on a hundred years ago but it, it really goes into like even more like i didn't even get to the wonder woman uh, creation like i i was like reading you know the first couple of chapters and it was dealing with mostly like you know his, his early life and it talked about like the creation of the lie detector and then it went to like various chapters where it was talking about like you know women's suffrage and that time and it was really kind of it, it was interesting but then it was also like i was kind of like you know like when does wonder woman show <laughs> up so like i never did finish i never did finish reading it like it uh, it is interesting though but like yeah I, I think you know like like i said I, I i had been waiting for this book for many years and i think i think ultimately like i was disappointed by it i think the inclusion of all like the the bondage stuff like yeah like like Derek saying like that is a big part of like those original Golden Age comics you know like if if you think like we're kind of like pulling your leg like no like just go out and find like you know Wonder Woman archives volume one and, and you'll totally see what we're talking about like I I think maybe guys like George Perez and Greg Rucka I think maybe they were correct and maybe disposing of some of that stuff like in the Wonder Woman origin or like you know in the retelling of her early years like i think maybe it was kind of you know kind of wise to not get involved into that because it gets kind of like weird and murky and then you know you, you kind of throw a lot of like modernisms into this like the whole like you know Etta candy is definitely like you know like i'm you know i'm big and beautiful and there's nothing wrong with that you know and, and diana is like totally you know just kind of d disgusted with her that you know that she's like let herself get that that huge you know but like i don't know it just there's like a lot of like different elements that were mixed about mixed up into this that like you know once it's like a cohesive book that you can read i think it was just kind of like okay like the dialogue reads 
very differently. And I guess it should because, you know, it's, you know, it's Themyscira and it's an isolated, you know, land of women. But sometimes the dialogue is kind of like, you have to, it's kind of like reading Shakespeare sometimes. You kind of have to, like, give it a second read and think about it for it to process. But the, when you mix all that stuff together and you, you, you add, a, like, a lot of, like, Golden Age elements like the bondage and, like, the flying clamshell cars and the purple rain and stuff, it just kind of, like, it just feels really weird. And, like, not, I mean, you know, Morrison is always weird, but this is, like, a different, I mean, to me, it's a different level of weird. Like, kind of like a, well, almost uncomfortable, almost. I keep going back to this, but, I mean, I think it's a, a level of weird that almost, even though this is written by Morrison, I, I almost think the uncomfortableness or the weirdness of it has nothing to do with Grant Morrison. I mean, this is stuff that was... To, to me, like, I, I, I don't think I'd throw any stones at this for not being, quote-unquote, faithful to the, the, the core essence of, of what yeah. Wonder Woman set out to be, but I, I think what the core essence is is something that's really strange. And, and I mean, Etta Candy, just as a character is so weird like like there's so many things that are weird about wonder woman to like mentally wrap your head around i mean here's this little tiny trollish chubby fat woman who's loves eating candy and here like they they sort of spin her you know the 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 morrison spin on it is she's a soror well i mean she was a sorority girl before but they they really play up the aspect that like that makes kind of a bond between them, you know, the the Greek characters and and Wonder Woman's history and how that sort of ties them together. It's almost like, oh, you know, she can speak a little Greek to her and then everything starts to make sense and Wonder Woman picks up on English really quick. But there also like, you know, to me like something that is a level of uncomfortability is like the notion of like let's give Diana a makeover. And, like, I mean, essentially, like, I mean, you know, to me, it's like that sequence is like, oh, let's whore up Wonder Woman. I mean, you know, it's like yeah. it's like she's got, like, I mean, they go out of their way to draw her with, like, this kind of overdone lipstick and this, this weird kind of, you know, laced, strapped up bustier thing and, and get rid of her pants and, and all this other stuff and you're just like sitting there going well what you know to me like that's why I kind of fall back to the default of I don't know what you know messages you want me to take away from this but I don't think I agree with many of them you know like like if, if the suggestion is as long as you lovingly submit things are going to be okay well whether it's Morrison or William Moulton Marston I, I think something isn't quite right with that. Like, I, I mean, if, if you look at his life and his relationships, I'm sure you're going to eventually get to the end of that book and find out that everything wasn't hunky-dory. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything wasn't okay, you know? And, and, and so, like, I think in that sense, I, I think, you know, the reaction that Steve Trevor has is kind of valid, you know, that, that look on his face where, you know, it's, it's in Mike's avatar and it stared me in the face... But I mean, it, it, it's 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 exquisitely drawn. Where it's like, say what? Like you know, like and and I think that applies to a, 
a, a great majority of people that kind of critically look at you know just Wonder Woman in general. I mean, even when you even when you do the Rucka Perez thing and eliminate all the bondage and eliminate all the the Kaniger weird fantasy elements to Wonder Woman, and you just look at her straight up mission, you know, like I'm going to bring peace to man's world but I don't want to fight, but I'll fight if I have to. You know, like, 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 doesn't, isn't that the dichotomy of womankind, I guess? You know, like, like that whole, like, I'm going to do this one thing, but if I have to do this other thing, I will. You know, and, 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 you know, to, to somebody who's just, you know, maybe a, a, a blissfully ignorant male reader, you know, to me, like, it, her, her whole mission even when I was a little kid, seemed to be counter to her, her message, you know? She's a warrior woman that wants peace, you know? Like, like it, there's no more dichotomy than that. You know, it's like the, the guys that always used to laugh at Peacemaker, you know, the guy with the beer bongs on his, you know, helmet or whatever, you know, that, that whole notion where it, it seems like a strange notion like I want peace so bad I'm gonna fight you for it you know and it's like it's like I you know I, I want everything to be okay and just trust me everything's gonna be fine just put on these handcuffs you know and and, and that's why you get that weird look on your face where you're like say what like what, what do you mean everything's gonna be okay if I put on these handcuffs you know like it, it's it's kind of I don't know to, to me like all that kind of stuff is is pretty strange you know I mean there there's some cool nods to things I think in terms of like if you're a comic fan like I I don't know did you like the bit where you know like she's fighting her quote unquote sisters and I'm gonna call them quote unquote sisters because clearly all of them have designs on one another and 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 like doing the beast with two backs with one another and all that kind of good stuff. But, like, there was the whole, like, girl Mala who kind of looked like Cassie Sandsmark to me, which it's like, in one sense, you're like, okay, well, there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, you know Wonder Woman having a lover who's female, and she basically outright says that to Steve Trevor's face. So it's, it's kind of it's funny to me because it's like, well... The main reason why you include Steve Trevor is usually to be a male love interest. And then you take it one step further, and, you know, he goes through the Transformaflux device, like Lois Lane, and, you know, gets made into an African-American guy. But then you're, like, wondering, is there a point to that? And I, I guess ultimately the point to that is what Mike brought up, which is... You know, and, and I guess, you know, some people have said this with disdain in reviews of this book, but refer to him as a a legacy slave, I guess, which is supposed to be derogatory somehow. Like, like clearly, it, it, it's kind of, again, like all this Wonder Woman stuff, it, it's, it's a, it's a head-splitting concept, because clearly Steve Trevor, in the context of this story, is not a slave. He is someone who grew up in, you know, conceivably the 21st century, but yet he has the baggage of previous generations applied to his frame of thinking. Like, I, I mean, to me, it seems like the main reason why Steve Trevor is who he is in this story 
is so that he has a realistic reason to side with Wonder Woman and the Amazons over his own country, if that makes any sense. You know, like, it's like, why would you throw away a career in the Air Force, and why would you, you know, quote-unquote, commit treason against your country for this hot chick who is into other chicks? Like, well, it's because he has that kind of understanding of what it could be like to be subjugated and taken advantage of in that world. So, I mean, and that's the only, I mean, that's the only rationalization I can see. You know, and, and, and to some people, it's like, that was, that was a negative? Like, I don't know, you know, like, and, and you know, I don't know. And some people, I'm sure it's a positive, too. But, like, I, you know, it's just a lot of concepts in this are things that, I, I don't want to say it's over my head, but it's just one of those things that I don't know that, the outcome is necessarily what you... I, I, don't, I don't think the outcome is as obvious as most people would think. You know, I, I think there's a lot of gray to the outcome as opposed to just, you know, X definitely leads to Y every single time or whatever. Yeah, it, it might be interesting. You know, most of these Earth-1 books get a sequel, so it might be interesting to see if, if Morrison ever writes a sequel, like where he'll go from here. Yeah, it's kind of like you, you wonder, like, what what else could he do? And, like, does she still... I mean, is there a point for Steve Trevor to be in a sequel? Is there a point for her to to engage her, you know, quote-unquote sisters in a sequel? Like, or do they bring in other aspects of, you know, the mythology like Ares and 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 other kind of, you know, things for her to combat but then you know i don't know do you have head splitting notions of what what does she try to do does she try to lovingly submit to areas like does that make any sense you know like i i don't know you know but yeah it, it would be interesting to see what they what they try to do and then of course there's there's the whole like i guess deconstruction of wonder woman subtly thrown into this which is you know oh the the clay story is just a bunch of horse shit and she got knocked up or artificially inseminated by Hercules, you know, and and really Wonder Woman is the daughter of Hercules and Wonder Woman, which I guess to me makes a little more sense than being the daughter of Zeus, but, you know, that's, that's I guess, I, I guess if you want to bring up other reinterpretations, you know, you can, you can get into that. Well, as, as there are many, like, interpretations of Wonder Woman, this is certainly one of the more interesting ones i guess i mean i liked you know what else i liked i liked that one girl who looked like uh i, I think they ended up calling her troya you know the donna troy looking champion. oh yeah like, i liked her yeah. her costume and her outfit and everything and of course there was you know they called the other girl artemis and so i mean it was almost like they were trying to pay tribute to all the different you know wonder girls and 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 sort of alternate wonder woman within that combat scene and everything and you know and of course, yeah, I'm I'm always kind of, you know, I I've always scratched my head at Etta Candy, you know, especially you know, and and what kind of baffles me too is what what kind of cracked me up is that they changed Steve Trevor 
conceivably they're introducing or, or, you know, depending on who you talk to, it's always been there, but they're introducing this aspect of, you know, an island of, of lesbians, essentially. And you've got, like, things like the, the, the three ladies who are overseeing her trial, which are kind of like the witches from Macbeth. Like, you've got all these kind of interesting things introduced into the story, but then Etta Candy, like, I mean, essentially, like, it's funny to me, because, like, Etta Candy, as far as her original incarnation goes, is virtually unchanged. Like, she's just this kind of, like, chubby, mouthy chick who gets in the middle of people's shit and runs around and is like, woo-woo, and, like, is always, like, you know, eating stuff. (laughs) I just, I always find that kind of funny, like, you know? (laughs) And, and, and And there's also that weird uncomfortability of, like, is she into Diana? Is she not into Diana? Like, you know, like, like, and, and, and there's even the, those lines of dialogue where she says she has crushes on guys, she has crushes on girls, like, ultimately it doesn't seem to matter to her. You know, like, there, there, there are those elements in this book where I was like, uh, the, the, the one lady uh, that supposedly was Diana's teacher when they, they heal Dindra the deer with the purple ray, that lady, her name is Althea. And, like, the way it's drawn, you, uh, you know, you'd almost think, like, she had designs on her student. You know, like, at least that's the, the vibe I got from it. You know, where it's like, that, that brings up, like, another head-scratching thing, where it's like, is that is that the suggestion? Is it not the suggestion? Am I, you know, sort of putting my own kind of interpretation onto it, you know, do other people not see that? Like, I, I don't know, but that's something that I got out of it when I read it, and just thought, again, it was something that was sort of head-splittingly strange, you know, like, to me, like, because the ultimate reality of it is you probably wouldn't want a teacher to solicit a student, you know, that to me seems like it would be wrong, but, you know, there on that island it doesn't seem to be like anything that anybody really puts much thought into you know so well, i mean i've said i pretty much said what i had to say about it i mean i thought it was interesting uh like i said i'm not too familiar with wonder woman so i'm glad derek's here to like clear up things and like i i, I personally couldn't like some of it i was familiar with and some of it i was kind of like is that a grant morrison like blue cupcakes thing and but uh, yeah, I'm glad you kind of cleared most of that up for me. <laughs> if, if they were riding kangaroos, you'd be like, "What? <laughs> What's going on now?" They what? Jumpa is <sighs> flying to the moon in loving submission. <laughs> it's like what? Okay, all right. So I mean, I, I guess that kind of wraps stuff up with Wonder Woman Earth One. We're gonna take a, a quick commercial break, and then when we come back. We're going to be talking about Wonder Woman, the true Amazon, so stay tuned. Hey there, my name's Nathaniel, and I'm here to tell you about an exciting new podcast. What are you doing? Oh, hey, Liz. I'm just recording the the podcast promo. You're recording the promo for the Punch Like a Girl podcast? Yeah. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm... one of the hosts. I have more podcast experience. What? 
You're going to sit there and mansplain to people about a podcast focusing on graphic novels and trade collections with female protagonists? Um, oh. Yeah. Can I at least tell them how it's available on iTunes and Stitcher and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com? No. Shoot. All right, well, hang on. I'll delete this. We'll try again. That's not delete. That's the button for publish. Hey, guys. Welcome back. So, as promised, we are here to discuss another original graphic novel, which is another reimagining of Wonder Woman's origin. This comes from comic creator and wife of writer Brian Azzarello, it is Jill Thompson, who has worked on Wonder Woman in the past, but I think she's more famous for her series of children's books turned comic books turned CGI animated projects called Scary Godmother. But I will go into a, I don't know if it's a quick synopsis, but I'll do my best on Wonder Woman the True Amazon. Because basically, like we said, this is sort of a graphic novel that reimagines, like, Diana's early years and how she grows up to become Wonder Woman and everything. So, here we go. We open on the magical Isle of Themyscira, home to the strong and brave warrior women, the Amazons. The tale is told of how the Amazons came to live in solitude on their paradise island. In the old world of man, the king of Mycenae, asks the son of Zeus, Heracles, to conquer their land, Amazonium, capture their queen, Hippolyta, and take her golden girdle. Heracles agrees and taunts the queen, and the queen sends her best warrior, Ayla, to face him. When Heracles slays her, it begins a war that raged from their mountain home, Amazonium, to Persia, from Thrace to Lycia. As Heracles' forces grew, the Amazons were driven to the edge of the seas, exhausted and outnumbered. As Hippolyta intends to parley with Heracles, offering to meet him in single combat in exchange for sparing her people, Zeus has designs to get busy with the fair queen disguised as a soldier. Hera, his wife, isn't having any of that, and conspires with Poseidon to help the Amazons escape to the seas in a gigantic enchanted ship that looks like a gigantic fish. Though the Amazons and their queen escape to the Isle of Themyscira, Hippolyta loses her golden girdle to the son of Zeus. On Themyscira, the Amazons continue to live their lives and engage in contests of endurance and skill. Despite the success in finding sanctuary, the queen longed for something else, a child to love as her own. The queen would often walk down the beach and sculpt this dream child out of sand and sing to it as a mother would sing to their baby. Ultimately, the gods heard the song of the Amazon queen and were so moved, their tears of silver and gold bring the sand sculpture to life. Thus, Diana of Themyscira was born. Of course, the entire Amazon community, including their queen, indulged and spoiled this little girl to no end. 
The gods had granted her great strength and wondrous abilities. The spoiled girl continued to take her servants for granted, and one day, when she threatened to leap off the balcony for being given music lessons, she discovers she can easily glide through the air instead of getting smashed on the rocks below. She continues to charm her way out of any well-deserved punishment and never, ever apologizes for her misdeeds. Later, as Diana enters her teenage years, Drunken stories of frightening caves and waterfalls on the island provide an interesting challenge for the adventurous princess. Many die by the stream, and this time, a purple tentacle grabs Diana's friend Eva and drags her into the cave underneath the waterfall. Diana dives after her friend to find this beast munching on leeches. Diana attacks with her knife and ultimately kills the purple octopus monster by impaling it with a stalagmite. Having rescued her Amazon sister and discovering a beautiful black pearl in the process, Diana becomes the talk of the island with her various adventures. However, although pretty much everyone fawned over the princess, there was one Amazon who could care less about winning her favor. She was Alithia, who tended the queen's horses. Though Diana bragged, pled, and made grandiose offerings, Alithia's friendship could not be forced or bought. The young and arrogant princess finally loses it and asks Alithia why she does not bow to her. Alithia says she only bows to the queen out of respect and devotion. Driven to win the heart of Alithia, Diana vows to prove that she is honest and can treat others with respect. The princess attends the stables, helping Alithia look after the horses. After a time, Alithia began to look forward to the visits from the princess. Very soon, the commemoration of warriors, a competition of games and skill in the art of war, was about to commence. All competitors were anonymous and wore masks so as not to distract an Amazon warrior when competing against a loved one. Diana, too, decides to enter the games as the victor is considered the best of all Amazons, and embodies all of the qualities that Alithia admires. In an anonymous competition, Diana is surprised at the great skills of her fellow Amazon sisters and begins to doubt if she can even win the tournament. The last event, a chariot race throughout the city streets of Themyscira, begins with trumpets blaring. When Diana becomes boxed in and looks likely to lose the race, she blows upon the silver serpent horn, which unleashes a sea of terrifying creatures into the race. Diana, of course, draws her sword to fight these creatures, and her horse crosses the finish line. However, her competitors did not fare as well. Diana turns in horror to the consequences her actions have wrought. Injured contestants and screaming steeds lay in the wake of her destructive distraction. Diana rushes into the fray to defend a wounded girl wearing the traditional Wonder Woman outfit. Together, they fight the two-headed beast that stands over slain horses and Amazons. When the girl attempts to stop one of the beast's heads from clenching its vicious jaws around Diana, she herself is caught in the assault. Flung like a rag doll and tossed aside, this is the final insult that enrages Diana into the killing blow that would bring the beast down. The remaining Amazons drive off the Chimera from Themyscira, but in doing so, unleash a vast array of mythological beasts onto the world. In the aftermath, euthanized horses, crippled and brain-damaged Amazons, 
The girl who saved Diana lies dead. Her mask removed reveals her to be Alithia, the stable girl. Diana, removing her own mask, rushes to Alithia's side. The Amazons are shocked that their princess has done such a horrible thing. They part ways for the queen. When Hippolyta asks who could have done such a thing, all fingers point to her daughter. Hippolyta realizes her own fault in indulging her daughter's flippant behavior. Diana asks her mother for forgiveness, but her mother says it is not for her to give. At the funeral for Alithia, after all the tributes and offerings from her fellow Amazons who loved her dearly, Diana sneaks into the chamber after it is emptied. She lays down next to her fallen comrade and vows to dedicate her life to penance for her wrongdoing. She calls Alithia the true Amazon and kisses her lifeless body goodnight. Although most of her Amazon sisters demand her death, Lucia, the Amazon made simple-minded, pleads that they not kill the princess. Instead, Diana is to wear the armor of Alithia, the golden girdle to echo the one lost to Heracles long ago, the bracelets, lasso, and silver serpent horn, and finally the crown, which is not to be removed until her penance has concluded. Her sisters will not kill the princess, but she is banished from Paradise Island forever to defend the weak, right the wrongs, and fight evil forevermore. So that in a, I don't know if it's a nutshell, it's probably way too long, but that is the lengthy and sort of blow-by-blow of Wonder Woman, The True Amazon by Jill Thompson. To me, this is kind of a lot like a children's storybook, which I guess kind of makes sense, given that, you know, Jill Thompson did all that scary godmother stuff. I mean, she's worked on Wonder Woman before, like, you know, sort of during the Perez years, like-ish. Like, I don't I don't know, Justin, have you read, like, any of those issues that she worked on? Like, it, they're, they're somewhere in, like, the 40s. Like, the one that I remember the most is there's that one special where her and Deathstroke are in it, and she, you know, by the end of it, she kicks his ass or whatever. Like, do you remember any of those? No, I don't think I've read anything from her run. It's not quite like this, you know? Like, I mean, this seems a little more you know, like, painted artwork and, and definitely has the vibe of, like, I, I was saying, like, a a children's storybook. But, I mean, she, she clearly did kind of penciled traditional artwork in the past, you know, and, and I know she's also worked on things like Sandman and, and, and different, you know, DC titles and everything like that. I, I, I guess, you know, maybe in comparing to Earth One or, or other iterations of Wonder Woman, I mean... To me, it's interesting that, like, I think this is something that is, I guess since it's written by a woman, it takes those feelings that we talked about earlier into account. I mean, in some ways, it's almost an appeasement to the the whole, you know, Heracles, Hercules, you know, raped Hippolyta storyline, because in this case... Like, to me, it seems almost like a, you know, neener, neener, neener thing where it's like they, you know, Hercules rips off the golden girdle, but he clearly, you know, Hippolyta clearly does not get raped. Like, Hera clearly pulls the wool over her husband's eyes and rescues 
or or at least you know sort of takes Hippolyta out of his you know lascivious kind of minded intent. So it's almost like I mean the vibe I got from that sequence was like Zeus and Heracles basically made all that shit up. Like they were trying to be big boastful men who you know kind of were like yeah I hit that shit and it's like in reality all they did was like you know, get into a skirmish and rip off her girdle, and none of them ever got to first base. You know what I mean? Like, that that, that was kind of the vibe I got from from that notion. I mean, I don't know if you guys thought that as well, or, you know, what, what you kind of thought of this piece in general. I thought the art was, like, gorgeous. Like, I really liked the art. It certainly, it did lend itself to that, yeah, like you said, like, storybook like feel like it, it was some 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 telling us the story of like a myth or a legend, and uh, I mean, the I, I I thought it was again I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't like Derek. Maybe you can tell me in all the different incarnations of Wonder Woman, has she ever had like a I want to say like an Uncle Ben or like Ho Yin Sen like sort of figure in her origin that you know dies and like motivates no, her. I, I think I think that that's the portion of it. I mean, I, I would I, the way I looked at this story was they made Steve Trevor a girl, and and I guess in a way made made her this Uncle Ben Ho Sin Yin like like you're trying to say this this inciting incident and and it's it's kind of strange like because that that's an aspect where they they really made her this kind of like like they gave Wonder Woman this kind of you know, almost like, you know, Angel from Buffy or, or you know, Hal Jordan is the Spectre, this very laborious, wandering Jew penance to serve out. And, like, that that, that to me felt kind of wrong, I guess, like, in terms of, in terms yeah, of Wonder Woman. That, I don't know, it felt very... It felt very odd to me, yeah. Like, and I don't know, like, like she had like the sort of jerk ass like origin or whatever, where she was a jerk. She start she had like the Doctor Strange or maybe like Tony Stark origin. Where she started off as a jerk and she had to learn the you know the the value of humility or whatever. Like, like it, it's interesting. It, it just didn't really feel a lot like Wonder Woman to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think there's aspects of both these that. That I don't know if it felt exactly like Wonder Woman to me. I, I think maybe the saving grace for both of them is, you know, like Justin said about Earth One, it's not part of any mainstream official continuity. And of course, neither is this. This is just another, you know, reimagining. So I guess as long as you look at it with those eyes, you know, it, it, it's nothing that's like the end of the world in terms of the story. But I, I kind of agree, like, it, that aspect to this, you know, like, sort of felt like a, a character that's normally you know right there with, like, Superman and Batman as, like, this kind of impeccable unstained nobility in, in what they do and and it seems like in this case, it, it just seemed like it came from sort of a, a, a different place which which did feel kind of odd especially for you know like a DC Comics character I think what do you have any take on that Justin like did that feel strange to you were you okay with it or yeah I, I agree with Mike it definitely didn't really feel like a Wonder Woman comic um 
I mean, it, it's always interesting to see Wonder Woman, to see her in different interpretations or like a different take on the character or to have her, you know, do something you might not normally think she would do. Like, I'm, you know, I remember debating with people like, you know, back when she killed Maxwell Lord, you know, that was like a big, you know, hot button issue. Like, should she have done that or not? And, you know, whether you agree or not, you know, you could certainly sympathize with her because, you know, like he was taking control of Superman and all this stuff. But like, you know, seeing Wonder Woman as kind of this selfish, like, you know, kind of like greedy, stuck up and self-absorbed like little kid. And even then, like an adult, like that's just not something I really like was like eager to read about. And it just seemed like it kept going on like, after, you know, page after page. And it, it did have that feel of a storybook when you were seeing her like, you know, do all these like kind of like bratty ass things where it's like you know she's like oh like i don't want a pony i want a horse right. or like i want to like you know golden saddle and it just kept going on and on and you know and little wonder woman like requested this and little <laughs> yeah, i was like yeah, we get it she's a jerk like okay. <laughs> yeah like yeah i was like okay you know i get it let's, let's move on but no it just kind of like kept going on and even till like adulthood where she's just kind of like lounging around and kind of like you know lazily like you know, keeping up with the conversations everyone's having or whatever. And it, I, don't, I just see where, whereas I may not have been enthusiastic about Earth One, like it's something that, you know, unlike those Straczynski Earth One Superman books, like I'm I like, I'm glad I read it. Whereas this, I'm just kind of like, I, I don't really care for it. I like the art. Like Mike said, the art is really gorgeous. I really like the art. But as far as like, this interpretation of like Wonder Woman's early years and this take on her like origin and her motivations, like I don't, I don't really care for it. I don't, I don't really like it to be honest. I with think, you. I, I think, like in terms of the art, like I think a lot of the designs are interesting. Like I think I, I prefer the way Wonder Woman ends up looking in this than she does in Earth One. I think like the Poseidon is a pretty cool design, like where he's like this weird bearded fishy plant man thing or whatever, you know, and they, they have I think I think this like whereas like Earth One is kinda like the William Moulton Marston era of Wonder Woman, I think this one takes a little bit of the the Robert Kaniger stuff where it's like all this weird kind of outlandish kind of stuff like these weird fantasy elements and stuff and and kind of the way they start her out as a little girl you know it kind of keys into the whole wonder girl when wonder girl was actually you know the little girl version of wonder woman you know like wonder tot you know like all these kind of kind of crazy robert kaniger concepts and stuff like that and so like i i think it kind of draws a little bit on that um, I, I'd say, like, when I first read this, because I had read this before I suggested we, we talk about it on the Wonder Woman episode, and, and when I first read it, you, you know how I always talk about how, like, I get that weird moment with, like, the red headband turtles, and you get confused if you can't see 
which weapon they're holding or if they don't have like the little d or the the color-coded masks or like when you read like black and white judge dread comics and like one of the random judges gets shot in the head and you're like holy shit did they just shoot judge dread in the head and you go oh no that was just judge sam or judge bob or whatever you know and shit and and you just you know for a minute there you you misinterpreted the panel and like with the the contest at the end like since they're all kind of dressed the same like I, you know, the the more I read it, I got it. Like Diana was in the the sort of black outfit, and she had the gold mask with the blonde kind of wig or whatever. And everybody had the gold mask with the blonde wig. And then you know you're supposed to see the other girl stand out because if you're a comic reader, you recognize Wonder Woman's costume, and so that stands out to you like a sore thumb. I think I got confused because I was thinking, oh, wait, did she change her outfit? Like, did, you know, I kind of got a little mixed up between Diana and I didn't, you know, you you don't know necessarily that it's Alithia who's the other girl, you know, like it's supposed to be this surprise and everything. And so, like, I think that first time I read it, I did have that sort of, you know, Judge Dredd, you know, red headband turtle syndrome going on when I read it. And, like, the the other thing, too, is... even though they have, like, the Tony Stark and Doctor Strange kind of, you know, I'm, I'm an asshole, like, kind of origin going on there, it also seemed to have, like, this weird Pandora's box thing, you know, with the the silver serpent horn that kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, I mean, I get it, but, like, I, I don't even know if that comes from any mythology or I mean I don't I don't I'm not familiar with that being part of any Wonder Woman lore it seems like that the the one thing I thought of was Pandora's box and it's almost like you know she just didn't think about what she was doing I mean I I, I think I think it's a compelling story I mean as opposed to Earth One where I can't wrap my brain around loving submission I, I can certainly wrap my brain around being young and stupid and making mistakes and sort of having to own up to them. Do you know what I mean? I mean, at least from from that perspective, I can kind of understand it. Uh, I think, again, you know, this book is a little more subtle than Earth One in terms of the, the, you know, lesbian aspect to Wonder Woman. But, I mean, you know, pretty much by the end of it, there's kind of no question, you know, like she... She kisses her on the mouth, you know, their fingers are interlocked and everything. I mean, there it doesn't seem like there's any question with the end of it. And and I guess there, it, it's weird. I, I There's part of me that feels like discussing it, and there's part of me that feels like that scene is almost none of my damn business. You know, like, I, I don't know how to explain that better than that, but that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Sort of like you just got, you, you, you know, you, you, you got to see somebody's private moment or whatever, you know, like, like you know, that, that, you know, essentially no one else was really supposed to see, you know. Right. I know this, I know this subject is something that like it's, you know, it, it's going around the interwebs or whatnot and on all that. But like, I, I mean, even as a fan of Wonder Woman, I just, I don't know, like, I'm not bothered by it. I just kind of feel like. You know, like I, I feel like this has been discussed like back in the nineties when she pretty much admitted to it, like in an old issue of like Justice League Europe or whatnot. Like, like to me, like that's when it was like 
like it, it was brought out then and then we talked about it then and, and uh, I settled it like I feel like we're kind of like you know going over old territory when everybody on the internet is like what like it happened in this book and in this book and what I'm just like well it, it's happened before like she pretty much admitted it like 20 years ago like what are you guys freaking out about but I guess because it's like the internet it's like you know clickbait like Wonder Woman is gay revealed click here I'm like uh, like it's old news. <laughs> so, so she, like I, I don't want to get into like a big argument over it, but but my 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 thoughts on the matter are. So she said it once in a Justice League Task Force comic, right? And now that comic is twenty years old. So you know, clearly there's a, a lengthy history of it, per se, right? But to me, it always seemed like that whole you know. Oh, Wonder Woman's on an island of women, eh? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, like it, it seemed like that was always an aspect to it, but a lot of the times it was said in jest, almost like the way people kind of insinuated that Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson were gay lovers. You know what I mean? And I'm like, just because it's a funny joke or just because there were insinuations made like if if they came out with a graphic novel where you know Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson were like going broke back mountain would you also kind of have that same reaction of like well hey they've been joking about it for years of course it makes sense or or you know I, I guess to me like I, I don't find it that surprising that somebody who's supposed to be you know, like Wonder Woman, who's supposed to be maybe the embodiment of, you know, female empowerment and virtue, also having another aspect like that grafted onto her character might generate confusion amongst fandom. I mean, I don't know. To me, it seems natural, like, that there's there's some kind of blowback or, or kind of questioning of, well, wait a minute, like you know, since when was this the case? But then again, like, if you read those early William Moulton Marston comics, you'd see that it was very, very weird and probably the case from ground zero. <laughs> but then again, you're like, kind of like, well, wait, wasn't she into Steve Trevor? And that's why I always feel like there's that head-splitting notion to Wonder Woman just as a concept because it seems like there's there's dichotomy just in her very existence you know it's like can you you know it's like pick a color you know <laughs> like decide but I you know sometimes she doesn't I don't know it, to me it just seems like it's speaking to like that crowd that like writes into Thunderbolts like requesting you know Cap and Bucky like make out you know, like that seems to me like it's like that's what it's like, you know, like that's the try that's the kind of like button it's trying to push. But yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like if there, and I, I honestly, I'm surprised there hasn't been you know like a Earth One, you know, Bruce and Dick are queer kind of like graphic novel. Like I'm surprised we haven't got that yet. But yeah, if, that's the if, title of it. <laughs> Batman, Bruce and Dick are queer. By the way, like send your angry emails to fanholspodcast at gmail dot com. Um, but yeah, like if there was that kind of like graphic novel where Bruce and Dick were gay, um, yeah, I, I probably would have like that kind of reaction. Like, wait, say what now? Um, I don't know. 
like you said, there's just so much, there's so much like weirdness in Wonder Woman. Like, you know, like as we can see, like in these two graphic novels, there's so much weirdness. And then throughout her whole history, there's so much weirdness. And there's so much weirdness, like, in her creator. So, like, Wonder Woman is just, like, you know, so weird in general. That's sort of embedded into her nature. And it, it's funny that, that people, you know, I mean, it's it's like almost by default, she's the, the spokeswoman of the DC Universe. And in some ways, she's the spokeswoman for being the first, you know, like, female superhero in a way. I mean, you know, discounting, like, you know, Sheena and all this other stuff. It's like, you know, she she's the one who, who stood out among the pack and, and means so much to so many different people. So then I think any time you introduce any aspects or even just point out that, like, oh, hey, by the way, Wonder Woman was kind of weird, man, like there's all this bondage shit and these three ways and her creator and there, there's there's a lot of stuff that you may not have noticed about this character you've decided to promote as the role model for young women everywhere you know and and then and then you're, you're kind of like of course you're going to get blowback on that because she means different things to different people I mean to some people it's just you know Linda Carter and they, they, they'll go to you like what the fuck are you talking about, bondage? Linda Carter. You know, like, like, are you fucking mad, you know? And, and you know, so it's like, it's like I, I, I sort of get that and appreciate it, you know, and, and so I can, I can see, like, to some people it's just, she's, you know, this can-do-no-wrong, superheroine, like, fictional fantasy of you know, a, a, a woman who clearly knows what she's doing and is stronger than men in man's world, and that's basically the end of it, you know? And, and but, but it seems like there's a lot of other kind of layers and aspects. You know, I, I guess it's interesting to talk about, like, you know, what, what kind of Wonder Woman comics you responded to, you know, because, like, for me, I, I always found it was kind of weird, like, I was thinking about this when we were going to do the show, and I'm kind of, like, thinking, like, well, you know, I know when I was a kid, I was never, I never was a kid that didn't want the female toy characters, you know what I mean? Like, I thought they were vital and essential. Like, I, I you know, there, there was never anything, any notion of, of sexism or that, you know, oh, it, you know, that's for girls or whatever. You know, it was like, if Princess Leia was part of Star Wars, then yes, like, let's get the Princess Leia toy from Kenner. You know, like, if Scarlet was an essential member of the G.I. Joe team, I was like, yes, let's get Scarlet. But I, I do find it kind of amusing that as much as I loved superpowers, I don't think I had a Wonder Woman toy until the DC Comics superheroes line from Toy Biz. Like, and I, I don't think I regularly really read Wonder Woman very much. Like, even when I was exposed to her during Super Friends and Linda Carter, like, I, I, I dipped my toe into it, I read a few issues here and there, but I don't think I regularly collected it. And and I think the the my gateway into it was like following like creators like going oh I like George Perez's art like I'll read those issues of Wonder Woman or oh I like Mike Diodato like 
let, let's start buying the book when he draws it because he draws like really exquisite you know pencils and everything like that and so I, I had this weird career of where I was following it in terms of who was working on it and everything and I mean I'd say looking back on it like I don't regret reading early golden age Wonder Woman or Robert Kaniger weirdness or anything that I have read I mean I, I think sometimes like Denny O'Neill's run gets unfairly like sort of criticized because you know that he made her yeah. appeal and he she ran around and did kung fu and stuff but I don't I mean you know I, I, I guess hindsight or whatever it's easy for me to say I don't see anything wrong with it it, but I mean, as far as just like a storyline where you knew, I guess I guess we come from an era where they always do all this drastic upheaval to characters and change them greatly, and after a couple years, it's all back to the status quo. But I think maybe at the time, that probably you know that wasn't the mindset. The mindset was, oh my god, what did you do to Wonder Woman? You crazy, you know comic book writer like what were you thinking you know so and it's like uh, you know I've, I've read that run and I don't have much you know I, I enjoyed it you know like there, there's there's I, I think I think as Wonder Woman proceeds and and you get into more of the the you know quote unquote bronze age or modern age like you said like guys like Perez and Rucka and and even some of the earlier stories in the bronze age they, they kind of lighten up on that whole bondage the 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 uncomfortable aspects of wonder woman's creation and so by the time you're reading like earth 2 stories where it's supposed to mimic the linda carter tv series like i i really like those you know and 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 to me like that's kind of my wonder woman because it's you know it's the one that's you know, Linda Carter and Super Friends, and I, I don't have to, like, scratch my head and think too hard about it. It seems pretty straightforward. But, you know, to, to other people, like I've been saying, like, she means a lot of different things. And in these two stories, they're they're sort of vastly different, but they're both reimaginings of Wonder Woman. And, you know, they, they both take a lot of strong chances with trying to you know, to me, it's funny because, like, you've got one thing I wanted to bring up before we end the show is just one thing I noticed that just made me chuckle, and I'm I'm just gonna factually state it, and you can read whatever the fuck you want to read into it. So I don't really care. You know, send all your hate mail to fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. But in Earth One, there is the sequence where Hippolyta is looking in her mirror spear, the magic spear that, like, shows her images of man's world. And in that, she basically, you know, one, you know, Diana walks in and says, well, what are you looking at? And she's like, oh, nonsense from man's world, like, the, the madness that is in man's world. And what you see in the mirror is the Twin Towers and 9-11, and they talk about, you know, war in the Middle East and all this other kind of stuff. And in... True Amazon, there's not the the mirror, but there is a you know a pool, a mystical pool that basically serves the same purpose. It's called the Scrying Pool, and it shows the people on Themyscira, the outside world, basically. And in that, when Diana sneaks in to look at the outside world because she's a spoiled little brat and does whatever she wants, 
she sees a mosque. So, I mean, you know, they, they both have clear messages, and they, they want you to pick up something that they're putting down, but they're both very different things, too, you know? So, I you know, and again, there are things that sort of, you know, uh, make you think and scratch your head and kind of question things and... You know, there, there, there's definitely a lot of those aspects to, to these titles. So I, I don't think they're so easily viewed as entertainment like some of the other Wonder Woman runs that I've been fond of, if that makes any sense. And that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, me too. Like, I'm, these were interesting. Like, like I said, I'm not too familiar with the character. So, I mean, aside from when she appears in Justice League stuff or events. So, like, I, I appreciated this, like, you know, these two different, very different takes on her origin to, uh, story. All right. Well, I guess that wraps things up for tonight. If you guys have any comments, questions, and plenty of concerns, I'm sure, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We are on all kinds of social media. We're on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. We appreciate all the likes, feedback, retweets, notes, all that good stuff. We, of course have plenty of spin-off shows. We've got Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays, Mobile Suit Mondays. We've got the Fanholes podcast proper. We've got Big in Japan where we talk about anime shows. And of course, you know, you've been listening to comic books, motherfucker, do you read them? So, until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC flying away in my invisible flight of the navigator clamshell plane, signing off. Hey, it's Mike signing off. And this is Justin. I'm going to get on my Kanga and ride off into the sunset. I'll get in my clam car. Wagner.